When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Code Breaker, presented by Underdog Fantasy. I'm Josh Larkey, the Director of Analytics at PlayerProfiler.com. You can find me on Twitter, JLarkeyTweets, and TikTok, JLarkeyTikToks. And with me today, you all know him, Cody Carpentier. He's our lead NFL draft analyst, the manager of the game charters, the wearer of multiple hats, the lifter of heavy things, Carpentier NFL on Twitter. Cody, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. We uh we're going through the the rut of the off season. I feel like day after day after day, it's been trades, 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 big signings. Um, I've been trying to been trying to put together this mock draft 5.0, but I'm telling you what, every single day it gets pushed back one day further because of more things happening. And what do you know? We had some Matt Ryan movement, so it was. It's been, it's been it's been a hell of a week. How how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Just trying to survive. Uh, I'm getting I'm a little sick. Uh, I think what happened is I, I think I didn't go out enough during COVID time. And now that I'm going out and doing stuff like California was all in lockdown, I'm going out. Yeah. And like I go out to freaking dinner and I get sick the next day. Like I see a concert, sick the next day. It's like literally anything that I do at this point, my body's like we're not ready for it. So I'm just like constantly stuffed up. But I'm excited. This is the stuff that motivates me. So that's why I've got my my drink with a lot of sugar in it is the, the throat needs it. So you mentioned Matt Ryan a little bit. Just before we break down the news, I have to say, like, there's no better sport than the NFL. Like, yes, there. Yes, the NFL is always very interesting. It's why we love it. But this year in particular, it's like, could you elevate the news cycle? Yes, we could. We've had so many quarterbacks on the move. Teams just changing rapidly in terms of team suddenly rebuilding team suddenly contending it's been fascinating we had some news this morning so break it down for me we've got matt ryan to the colts marcus Mariota to the falcons james winston goes back to new orleans looks to me at least just gut reaction falcons gunning for the 101 in 2023 this roster is terrible the colts i don't know if it's a hot take look like the team to beat in the nfc south and then James looks like a pretty screaming deal. What was it? Two for 28 with 21 guaranteed, I believe. What do you think about those three fairly big quarterback moves that happened just today on a Monday? The Winston one, I think we can chalk up to, uh, you know, they're just bringing him back. I think the Saints are content uh, continuing their reboot, which is just rolling money over and finding a way to be competitive year in and year out. I think they're in hopes that, you know, Carolina is still a year away. The Falcons like you just said, going to be the one-on-one and Tampa, you know, if an injury happens or something, they still have Tampa's name, uh, you know, with their, with their defense, their defense has been able to lock up Tampa. So I think they're just quietly trying to be that team that sneaks in kind of like we've seen the giants do in years past. But um, so I don't hate the Jameis one as well. Like we talked about in the pre-show, you know, Jameis, 
Taysom Hill, draft a quarterback. That gives you three guys for the price of one, um, and then hopefully something comes out of that. Mariota to the Falcons, like we talked about, it's going to be Mariota, Patterson, Pitts, and exactly what you said. I said this is going to be, you know, like I would run Patterson and Mariota RPOs, and I would throw the Pitts throw Pitts the ball 250 times, and you're like, there's going to be some good drives. I don't know about games. Drives, that's like the best way to put it. Um, but, of course, we love Marcus Mariota from the fantasy perspective. And then Matt Ryan, I saw some comments on Twitter about it being like a sideways move from Wentz to Ryan. I would disagree with that. Um, people say, you know, Wentz has been the Super Bowl. He won the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, um, he was almost an MVP one year. Matt Ryan has every single year thrown for 4,000 yards and been able to produce at the highest level. Um, and that excites me. And I think Matt Ryan still has a little bit left. Um, I don't, I do not think his arm talent is on the Ben Roethlisberger um, level quite yet. I think he's still probably a year away from that. We've seen these happen in the years past where like Brett Favre holds on for a year too long. Roethlisberger holds on for a year too long. I think Ryan still has a year mm-hmm. being 2022 before 2023. I think his arm is probably toast. Um, so I think the Colts five quarterbacks in five years, Let's see, man. We got a couple receivers on the Colts that we're going to talk about later that I think will benefit from this. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts on Julio joining Matt Ryan in Indianapolis? What do you, what do you think about that? Like, if if he comes in on a min deal, I, I like it. I mean, the the Colts have a lot of cap space; they can afford it. Yeah. I think it's at least intriguing. Where if you say, all right, like realistically, that team's probably not winning the Super Bowl. Realistically, Julio Jones probably won't stay healthy for a full season. But if he stays healthy for a full season, and they have that connection. I mean, their their Super Bowl odds go way up. Mm-hmm. And there's not just there's not that many players that have that kind of risk reward. And I think that's often what teams should do in these weird one year window type things where we don't really know the Colts window. But I like you. I I loved the Matt Ryan trade for the Colts because this is a team that on paper looks like they're ready to compete. And yeah. we saw it with Wentz, where it's like you know what, when Wentz is just an average NFL quarterback. They're a very good playoff team. And when Wentz throws multiple interceptions and can't score against the Jaguars, they miss the playoffs. And I don't think Matt Ryan's the type of quarterback that's going to have, maybe he doesn't have some of the high highs that a Wentz can give you, but you know he's not going to have those lows. And I think that's what the Colts want. They just want the steady presence at quarterback. And that's when I think you can add in a Julio where you've already got the steady quarterback, go with the very high variance receiving option where he's either going to be top 10, top 15 receiver in the league quality or he's probably just washed or injured and not playing so i I like that type of move where it's very high risk high reward for where they're at because i mean that division is weak like they're they're coasting to the playoffs if they get anything from a julio jones or they grab someone whoever's left in free agency like a landry even i think would help them like i don't see houston winning five games uh sorry davis mills i don't see jaguars winning nine games um i think they're gonna take a step up but that's a that's a big step in, in year number one under a new coach the whole new regime uh, i love trevor lawrence and all all the jags that the jags got like you said um, but, <laughs> the jags. and then tennessee like tennessee is due for a year of regression now we saw roger roger saffold leave he's now in buffalo playing offensive line like i, I think they've lost a lot of linebackers they're playing they're starting to have to pay guys like harold landry i, I think tennessee's you know couple year stretch of winning the AFC South uh, may be coming to an end. And I think it's just perfect timing for Indianapolis. Their defense is stepping up. They're grabbing offensive linemen this year in the draft. Now they have a perennial, uh, you know, top 15 NFL quarterback with the best running back in the NFL. I think they kind of, I think we're going to see a, sh- a shift change. Just like you said, I think they're going to win the AFC South. So I'd, I'd have to agree. 
Yeah, I like it a lot better than Baker since that was kind of the what people were talking about initially. Was, yeah. All right, Watson to the Browns, Baker to the Colts. And I was like, yeah, that's good. I, I still think they could potentially be the favorites to win that division with Baker. But Matt Ryan, like I was saying earlier, I think that's the quarterback you want. You want the guy that's going to minimize mistakes with this roster where you have a very good defense, good offensive line, some capable skill position players. You just need that the, the captain of the ship who's going to be very even keeled, give you what you need. Now, let's talk about uh, some players – it wasn't all roses for, for fantasy football. Give, give me uh, a couple names of players where you feel like their fantasy value took a pretty massive hit uh, now that we're about a week into free agency. I think the easy one you point to is these teammates or once upon a time teammates, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Um, I think really what made these guys tick was each other. Um, I think even if Rodgers has that connection with Lazard, MVS, Amari Rodgers, Cobb, Tanyan, it's not going to be anywhere near what Devontae was because Devontae is different. Devontae, even like in the videos you saw from NFL films where he was like playing against Denzel Ward and he's like, hey, dude, good, good job. And it's like he just caught like a 35-year-old, 35-yard route on Denzel Ward. And he's like, hey, good mm-hmm. job. It's like there's levels to this game and there's nobody on Devontae's level from a uh, getting the job done perspective. So what that does is that brings everything that Rodgers does down because there's just literally nobody that can fill that role nobody um and then for adams he's going to match up with Carr, which is awesome i love that but that offense is going to run differently Carr is not as accurate he's he's i love Carr. don't get me wrong he's my highest owned quarterback in dynasty because he's always been a value and i think he gets a, a, a unfair hand but it's just different everything runs different in different places so he's not going to come in day one and he's not going to get you know 15 16 18 14 targets like we saw rogers do like in the second half of a game if they're down he's gonna go hey hey you know Devontae, and he's gonna tap his helmet or he's gonna take a step and Devontae's gonna know what he's gonna do like they might have those connections in in vegas but it takes years to get those connections right and the timing to be impeccable like you've seen with green bay the years past like mm-hmm. as a viking fan it's been painful to see that because it's like hey that ball's going to Devontae right now and everybody in the field everybody in the stadium knows it but nobody can stop it. And the difference is just like those, those minuscule things that the connections are off. So I like, I don't think Devonte um, and Aaron Rodgers both, I think they take a, a big hit. Like, I don't, I don't know if Rodgers has enough firepower right now, especially <clears throat> to even have the chance to repeat as MVP. And then we're talking about Devonte. It's like, I, I still love him, but there's a handful of guys I would take over him in fantasy just because opportunity connection, everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really, I don't like these, these changing teams receivers just historically doesn't work out more often than it works out. I mean, like if you're on the clock in fantasy and redraft, how do you not push the button on like Justin Jefferson over Devonte Adams where it's like, Hey, we just saw them put up pretty much the same fantasy season. One of them's with the same quarterback yep. and still no target competition. Like you just, yeah, I think Devonte Adams is no longer in the top, like two, three receiver consideration. It's tough. And then Rogers, like, wouldn't shock me if he's like a, a high-end QB2 this year and it's like, oh, hey, he's getting you 18 fantasy points a game. Like, it's not hurting you, but in no way is that helping you like the last two years where he's had these bonkers touchdown rates, yeah. a lot of it because of that Adams-Rogers connection. And like, and also, you know, people are forgetting with Adams. I don't know if they're forgetting or not, but like, there's also this guy named Darren Waller in Las mm-hmm. Vegas that has that connection already with Carr and that gets those 15 to 18 target games randomly from Carr. So like now he's not going to get like that special. He, he, he probably will. He probably have some games where he gets that special treatment where he gets 15 targets, but it's going to be, you know, less likely the odds are not going to be in his favor 
as as often as they definitely would be in 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 Green Bay. You know, with and Waller, like we've talked about Waller a lot. Um, he's he's like in the prime of his career and putting two of these guys in the field together. We've seen it in years past. It just doesn't really work out for us in fantasy. From a team perspective, I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a fantasy perspective, it's going to be a tough one for me to buy into. Yeah, same. Now let's go to the other end. G- give me a guy where post-free agency at this point or mostly through it all, you're like, wow, this this guy took a pretty took a pretty nice trip up my rankings for redraft dynasty, everything like that. Who, who is that player for you? Uh, it's gotta be Amari Cooper for me. And a lot of people were like, well, it's Amari Cooper, puke, yuck, whatever they say year after year after year, they just get annoyed by Amari Cooper. But you know, what's he been in the league now for seven years and he's got 5,000 yard seasons. Um, you know, he missed it last year at eight sixty five, eight touchdowns. He averaged 13 and a half points per game. Like this is a world where Amari Cooper was in this Dallas offense with lamb with Gallup, with Dalton Schultz, who's very, very underrated. Uh, you can hear Marcus Moser talk about that in the last My Dimension show. Zeke Elliott. And now he's going into an offense that was you know, replicated after what the Minnesota Vikings have done. That's where Stefanski came from. It's run first. It's play action. The quarterback play is going to 10x with Baker gone. Uh, even if it's if it's not Watson for six or eight games, it's going to be Jacoby or whatever it's going to be. And it's only going to like increase even more. This is literally your DeAndre Hopkins for Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun Watson doesn't get suspended, holy shit. But if he does, it's you're still going to have six, eight games of wiggle room. And I still love Amari Cooper at whatever value you can get him at. Currently we have him 30th in the dynasty rankings, but I mean, 27.7, he's still got a couple years left of being a top end guy. This is a guy that you're going to be able to continue to get at value because people are skeptical of Cleveland, skeptical of what's going to happen at quarterback, skeptical if they're going to bring another receiver in, even if they do, like we saw this in Minnesota, what I just said, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen work and coexist in that offense for a couple of last seasons. Why mm-hmm. can't that work again in Cleveland? Yeah, I think also I really like Cooper for best ball because right now there's kind of this discount on him where it's like, oh, but Watson might get suspended. And it's like, okay, there's still a chance he can produce without Watson. And then especially I play a lot of tournaments for best ball. Say Watson misses six games, eight games. You're still getting a few game ramp up for Watson and Amari Cooper to find their stride. And then after a few games of them establishing their connection is the tournament. And that's when I think Amari Cooper could really pop off. So I really like him there where, you know, he's going to give you something early in the season and that his value could spike right when you needed to, when now suddenly you're in the big tournament. And if you happen to have a Watson Cooper stack, that could be pretty killer second half. Now, what about someone like, I think it's fair to say like Cooper is in a better spot now than he was last year. Fair to say, like, Adams Rogers' worst spot. Who's someone where it's not necessarily apparent to you, where you're like, oh, this this really helps them, this really hurts them? Who for you is that guy where you're just like, oh, that's just a really tough eval right now? It's Bobby Trees. He's he's turning 30. Robert Woods, he's turning 30, coming off of a knee injury um, for the Rams. Um, I, I thought he was going to stay in the Rams. I thought that just, like, I thought the whole connection there, that they were going to run it back with everybody, and then they surprised us and bring in Allen Robinson, which I, I really liked. I really like that for Allen Robinson mm-hmm. and those in those shares. Um, but but Robert Woods has been the toughest one for me because we've seen year after year, 16, 15, 15, 15 points per game fantasy, and he's produced, and he fits well in that number two, number three role. Um, and then you move him over to Tennessee, and like we talked about before uh, in the pre-show was if A.J. Brown is healthy, Woods is going to be nice, but he's not going to be fantastic. And then if A.J. Brown is hurt at all during the season, which we've seen the last couple of years, unfortunately, Robert Woods being the number one receiver in an offense at age 30, six foot, 200 pounds, coming off an ACL injury, 
it's going to be tough. That's going to be tough sled. He's going to get targets, but that's going to be very tough sled and being the number one receiver. I don't think he's built for that. Um, so the question then becomes, do they draft another receiver? Um, Austin Hooper's there now. They got Derrick Henry. It's just a very tough situation for me to, to gauge, you know, how is Woods going to fit into this offense? I think he fits in good, but for fantasy, it's like, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't think I can, I don't think I'll be able to press that button at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is one where it's just like the, the absolute perfect team fit in real life football. Yeah. The Titans got a lot better, but fantasy I'm, I'm leaning towards this hurts woods, but yeah, it's always tough when in real life you're like, this is just the perfect fit. Yeah. He, he, like the, it's exactly the type of the, rec- the type of receiver you want. He's an immaculate blocker, which we know is going to be very important for this offense. So really tough. Now uh, this one seems pretty easy for you when we were talking about the show sheet. Most improved team now through about a week of these signings. Who is it? This one, I kind of bounced back and forth between a couple. Um, I had the Raiders up here for a little bit, and then we talked about you know the Devontae Adams situation where it's nice, but it can hurt the team a little bit. They obviously brought in Chandler Jones. Then I bounced back, and I was like, ah, maybe the Chargers. And I was like, nah, I don't want to jinx those guys again because that happens every year. I landed on the Bengals, and the Bengals is what I've been thinking about all week is they cut Trey Waynes today. That saved them $11 million. Talked about that in the free agency tracker on playerprofiler.com. You can go check that out in the article section. Just type in free agency tracker. It pops up, or it's all over my Twitter. But they went out, and they got Alex Kappa from Tampa Bay. They got Ted Karras from New England, and they got Lyle Collins from the Dallas Cowboys. And they improved at tight end, a lot people would say. Hayden Hurst from C.J. Ozoma. This offensive line is completely revamped. They might mm-hmm. draft another offensive lineman if the value stands pat in the NFL draft. They improve at tight end. They still have Boyd. They still have Chase. They still have Higgins, Burrow. The offense is legit. Like, if they if they hit on this first-round pick, whether it be corner or another offensive lineman, I mean, is there is there many teams in better shape than the Bengals right now? No. I, it's, it's tough for me to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Bengals and Chargers are just – they're setting up dynasties right now. They have the elite young quarterback, start surrounding him with the, the great offensive line. I think a, a cool thing to think about is Joe Burrow had the most yards per attempt in the NFL last season behind a terrible line. First year with Jamar Chase. What do you think he's going to do in year two when he's got time to throw? This could be the, the best offense in the NFL by quite a bit next year. I think that's in their range of outcomes where you look and you're like, wow, Joe Burrow has 55 touchdown passes. I don't even think it's that crazy when you look at the situation that Burrow was in last year and how he performed and then what he's coming into this year. So I'm, I'm pretty excited for this Bengals offense because it was already one of the most fun teams to watch. And now you don't have to, you don't have to see Burrow take five, six, 10 sacks a game when he's facing a, a, a dominant pass rush. So it's going to be very good. Now, what about a team where you just, you want, you wanted more. They just didn't do quite enough. They were a little passive for their situation. Wait, which team was that for you? I, I have written down, I have Indianapolis, and that is being because they came in with the most money and they just haven't spent any of it. And then they go out and they get Matt Ryan and they don't even have to pay his whole contract. It's kind of funny, but um, they just kind of let these guys come and go, come and go, come and go. And they just haven't signed anybody. And Pat McAfee talks about it the last week and a half on his show. It's like, when the hell are the Colts going to sign somebody? But I don't think I can be as upset with them as I can be with the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals mm-hmm. go out, re-sign James Conner. They give him $7 million a year. Zach Ertz, they give him over $10 million a year. Then they pay a linebacker named Dennis Gardeck $4 million a year to be a special teams ace. They re-sign a backup quarterback, Colt McCoy, a punter, 
a, a linebacker and they let Chandler Jones walk. They let Chase Edmonds walk. They let Christian Kirk walk. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm keeping my star edge rusher, Chandler Jones. I'm keeping my better running back, Chase Edmonds, over James Conner. I'm keeping Christian Kirk over Zach Ertz. I'm just not excited with what they've done. They lost Jordan Hicks, which I think is fine because then Zayvon Collins pops in. But they just haven't done a lot, and they don't have a ton of money. They only have $8 million left, but mm-hmm. – the money they did have, I think they just could have used it a lot better. Like paying Zacherts ten million and James Conner seven million a year, and and it just, I think it's a complete failure of use of money uh, from a franchise that seems to be not far away and in a competitive, very the most almost the most competitive uh, division, I guess you could say. Now it's the AFC West, but the NFC West has got to be the second most competitive with the Rams. By far, and, most in the NFC at least. In yeah, terms of competitive. A hundred percent, and it's like you go out and you're going to really spend. $17 million a year for the next three years per average on James Conner and Zach Ertz, guys that had solid 2021s, but we know are over the age apex, injury prone. The situations are the situations. Colt McCoy, $4 million, Dennis Gardeck, $4 million. Like That's $25 million a year you spent on a backup quarterback, a special teams ace, an injury prone tight end, and uh, you know uh, James Conner. Like, Yikes! Like I, that would be like the most disappointing uh, free agency so far. Just the, the complete lack of uh, awareness and use of money, in my opinion. Yeah, I think what's crazy about that is that not even are they paying Connor seven or it's about ten, but if I remember correctly, the guaranteed money is not just it's pretty much next year as well, right? I think they were three year deals for both, but I think the guaranteed money pretty much forces that Connor and Ertz are also on the team in twenty twenty three. Which is it's just ridiculous because you look at the Cardinals last year and this was a this was a good but flawed team. And I don't think anyone out there was like, you know, if they just did if they just kept giving James Conner more runs up the middle or just kept throwing the ball to Ertz, then they would then they would have gone farther in the playoffs. That's it. That's that's just, no one was thinking that. And then for them to go out and do that, they still haven't even paid Kyler yet. It, we could we could be looking in a couple of years and we're like, okay, the, the Cardinals rebuilded and are they about to rebuild again? Since we see that from time to time where it's like, oh, they're finally out of the re- – nope, they're rebuilding. I mean, the Browns nearly had that. The Browns got saved in terms of their rebuild cycle by trading the farm for Deshaun Watson, but they yeah. almost looked like they were rebuilding, getting out of the rebuild, and it's like, oh, you, you gasped for air. Get back into that rebuild. And I feel like the Cardinals are – I think they're actually teetering pretty close to having to rebuild again. As crazy as that sounds, they were they looked like maybe the best team in the NFL for a few weeks to start last year. And these moves just they don't make sense. And on paper, this is just this is not a top tier roster. It really, honestly, at the combine when I asked Cliff uh, about his his running back room, and he's like, you know, James Conner's <laughs> obviously a guy we'd like to bring back. Eno's a guy we like how much he has progressed but it's unlikely we can bring back Chase and James. We really like what Eno can do. It was like, oh, my Lord, you're really going to do this? And we saw it coming a mile away that they were going to re-sign Connor and let Chase Edmonds walk. And it's like anybody with common sense would say, first off, don't don't re-sign either of them because you look at this draft class and the value of running backs has fallen so far. You can literally draft Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, Rashad White in the second, third round and just plug them in for you know an eighth of the value, an eighth of the price, and you can spend that money on re-signing Kyler, on maybe bringing back your star edge rusher, or going and getting a better cornerback. Like That's when you knew that they were in trouble. And as you completely alluded to, is like the Browns saved themselves. The Browns went out and did the damn thing and got the Sean Watson. But there's very, 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 
very, very, very few opportunities to go out and get a guy like this, Sean Watson. Like mm-hmm. you can't even put on your, you can't even count on, on, on your hand how many times an opportunity like that arises. And it's like both bad and good with his legal cases, whatever you don't get top five quarterbacks. They don't just like, Oh, Hey, come trade for our top five quarterback and just give us, you know, three picks uh, that don't happen. So Arizona, I mean, if, if they really mess this up with Kyler, it could get, it could get nasty quick and cliff could be gone. Yeah, I think for people listening, if you're like, oh, but it can work out, right? I'll give you a couple names of teams that are fucked. The Panthers, the the Falcons. Like there, There's teams out there where you look and it's like, oh my God, I don't even know when they're going to come out of this. And that's what you're afraid of. The Bears looked like that for a while. Hopefully Fields leads them out. The, the New York Giants. There's teams out there where that is the that is the absolute worst thing for a fan base you know the players don't. The players don't want to be part of a team where they they can't even feel like they're sniffing the playoffs in two three years. And the Cardinals, they are on the precipice of it. I hope for their sake they can they can figure it out and have a good season this year. But they they're actually one of those teams that's dangerously close right now to to going six and eleven, where it's like they're maybe maybe they're like one year away from it if things don't work out. So very concerning. And, and- before we move on past that, like you mentioned the Panthers and the Panthers are a team that I'm a very big fan of what they're doing on defense, Mm -hmm. but the mistake they made was exactly what I just alluded to with James Conner is they signed their running back, which we've talked about a billion times on this channel is don't pay your running backs. And they went and did it with McCaffrey and we've seen how that's worked out so far. And it kind of nuked the whole situation. It kind of, you know, imagine if they had 15 million a year, to go out and make a move, make a move after after a Watson or a Wilson. They could have went and done something like that, but they paid all that money to Christian McCaffrey, and now they've had to pay DJ Moore top five money. Just a bad all-around situation, uh, and you have Sam Darnold at quarterback. So congratulations, Carolina. Your door opened and slammed shut very quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. And I think we just saw that with the Jameis Winston signing. Why don't you pay a running back? What McCaffrey, Zeke, there's running backs out there making more money this next season than Jameis Winston, who was an average and maybe at times even an above average quarterback that was actively being the reason the Saints were winning games. And nope, running back. Crazy. Now, I think we could talk free agency all day, but unfortunately or fortunately, I think it's fortunate. We've got some other stuff to talk about. (laughs) But before we dive into the, the, the meat and potatoes of this, this episode where we talk some new receiver metrics. This show, it's sponsored along with pretty much everything else in the underworld by Underdog Fantasy. If you haven't signed up and you're living under a rock, go to Underdog Fantasy, the promo code UNDERWORLD. You get a up to a $100 deposit match. So you put in $50, they'll match it with 50 bucks. You put in $100, now there's 200 in your account for new users, promo code UNDERWORLD. They've got the this I mean, it's pretty revolutionary. Right now, they have a super flex best ball tournament. I don't think I've had this much fun drafting and maybe ever. And I'm not exaggerating. Like you can, people know this. Uh, if you're if you're drafting on underdog, slow drafts, fast drafts in the super flex tournament, you're probably going to see fun guy hate stats in there. That's my name. You're going to see me in there in a ton of these draft rooms. I'm, I'm not just saying it for the sponsorship. There is nothing more fun than these super flex drafts. It's like the Wild West. Players are oscillating in value constantly. I've been pounding Marcus Mariota in the 140s in the Superflex tournament. He's probably going up to a top 75, top 80 pick now that he's with the Falcons. It's crazy. Uh, those of you that were following me on Twitter remember when I was all over Trubisky and then I had to get off because I was like, Trubisky's no longer going in the 150s. He's going at the pick 70, pick 80. Time to push back. 
So I love that. And I think right now the, the latest viable quarterback, so you might be listening. You're like, all right, I want to get a quarterback in that super flex tournament. I generally try and get four quarterbacks on my team. It's half PPR quarterback score a lot. The answer is my doppelganger, Davis Mills. He goes after pick 100. This is the locked in Houston Texans starter. They're probably going to lose a lot of games. He's going to be unleashed at times. We saw it last year. There were eight games of 300 or more passing yards among rookie quarterbacks last year. Eight games. Davis Mills had four of them. That is what you want in best ball. You want the guy where every now and then the team unleashes him. And it's like, Davis, throw the ball 40 to 50 times. Let's see what happens. That is what you want in best ball. So he right now is the, the final cheat code that I have. I gave you Trubisky. I gave you Mariota. All I have left at this point is Mills. Cody, do you have, do you have any... Any other gifts with this? I mean, these rookie quarterbacks are not looking like they're going to start a ton of games this year. I'm out of options. It's Davis Mills at this point. So I drafted the team this morning while I was mowing because I was waiting for the damn thing to fill and it took like 20 minutes to fill, <laughs> unfortunately. And I started out my draft, Jalen Hurts. I had the turn pick, Jalen Hurts and Aaron Rodgers back-to-back at the turn. And nice. then I hammered running back receiver the rest of the way, obviously. And then I'm sitting out there and I'm like, God, who should I take? I got to get some more quarterbacks because I remember you always say, Four quarterbacks and super flex, four quarterbacks, four quarterbacks. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, let's see, 15, 16 at the turn. Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter, who are the two guys okay. that I think have the best chance at this value to start games. I think Ritter is probably the most pro-ready quarterback. I don't think his arm talent is on the level of Malik Willis at all. But I think he has the opportunities where he's going to be able to come in and start if he has to day one. Sam Howell, I think, has... Next to Malik Willis, the best deep arm in this draft, um, and he has rushing upside. So I got I got Sam Howell at 180 and Ritter at 181. That's after Drew Locke. That's after Marcus Mariota. That's before Taysom Hill. The after after I got Ritter and Howell, it was Taysom Hill, Brissett, Minshew, Kaepernick. That was the next quarterbacks that came <laughs> off the board. So I, I felt pretty good about that. Those are my two quarterbacks to go with Hertz and Rogers, who I feel very good about. And yeah. I kind of just was hoping like, hey, one of these guys is going to land somewhere where he's going to have to play this year. But that's where I'm at the quarterback position. I do got one other guy at the other two running back and receiver positions. But um, yeah, I want to know, what, what do you, okay, I was going to say, I'll, I'll talk about go quarterbacks for, for a minute, but let's go uh, Chris Olave, who I mentioned to you before. While I was in this draft, I was like scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I saw Burks come off the board. I saw Garrett Wilson come off the board, Drake London, and I'm scrolling. I'm like, what receiver should I draft? What receiver should I draft? I'm like, Chris Olave's long gone. Oh my God, Chris Olave's on the board. He's going off at 135 right now on underdog in the Superflex draft. And like I, I told uh, Josh before, I was like, I would take him all the way up into the 80s by Mooney. Uh, I, I feel that good about Chris Olave. Uh, my big board just got released today on playerprofiler.com, the top 300. You can also find that in the 2022 draft guide that got released over the weekend. Chris Olave is the number one receiver prospect grade. This is NFL prospect grade, 8.63 top 10 talent. Like he's the most uh, pro ready receiver in this draft, best separator. Uh, he just has every intangible and every tool. I told you he's a combination of like a Devonta Smith and a Jamar chase without being like those guys have that next level talent of, I can go for 1800 yards. I can do like what they did in college. Olave is not on that level, but I'm saying from a size speed combination that's what olave is he's 180 pounds he's six foot tall he runs the four three he does all that stuff he's a great separator mm -hmm. um i really love olave and you're getting him here at wide receiver four or five in this rookie class in the super flex on underdog i love that and then at running back this is a deep one um i got tyler goodson 
And ooh, I don't even know that. Who? Who? I don't think I've drafted him yet. Let's hear about who's, it. Who's Tyler Goodson? He, I got him a pick two zero five round eighteen, the first pick of round eighteen. Um, okay. I finished my draft out with Tyler Goodson, David Bell, Jalen Tolbert. Got to hit those rookies. Hit those rookies. Larky said it a million times. Two zero five. I take Tyler Goodson. That's ahead of Jamal Williams, Justin Jackson, Naheem Hines, James Cook. That area. Tyler Goodson five nine one ninety seven. 68th percentile college dominator, 85th percentile college target share, runs a 4-4-2 at the NFL Combine. Last few years, 24, 15, 31 receptions. Best comparable, get this one, C.J. Spiller. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm pulling up his page. I like it. Iowa, okay. Tyler, I'm, I'm going to have to take a little Tyler Goodson, sprinkle him in there. Yeah, I, I, right now I think my, my, my favorite rookie, it's got to be Rashad White. I want to say he goes in like the 140-ish range. Well, let me let me check just to confirm. I want to say he's in the 140 range. Let's see. Rashad White, ADP 147. There it is. So pick 147. Probably going to get drafted on day two. He's an older prospect, which doesn't matter in redraft, especially with running backs. The age doesn't matter that much. We just saw Najee Harris tear it up when he was, what, 23 or 23 and a half as a rookie. Rashad White's going to be around 24 or 23 and a half, somewhere in there when the season starts prolific pass catcher at Arizona. What do you have? 40 something catches his final year. And and he's not a small dude. He's over 210 pounds. So he already checks the box for size. He runs a four, four. I I really like Rashad white. I think that that's my guy right now where it can be a little dark in these running back streets. When you get a little later where there's a lot of guys that have potential, but it's a little hard to know kind of murky waters. He's a guy for me where I'm very confident. The guy's going to get 150 to 200 touches. Yeah his rookie year and that he, he's going to have some weeks, especially when he's competent enough as a runner, he has breakaway speed and he has that pass catching background. So that, that's my flag plant right now. It's probably going to change at some point. He's probably going to start scooting up in ADP when people realize what the draft capital is going to be just like with Olave. It's like, do people not realize he's set up to go? Like there's a chance he goes to the Packers. His ADP could be in like the fifties or sixties. If the Packers draft him, Mm-hmm but he's going in the 130. So it's the the rookies like we've said that is where the value is right now. I did take Rashad White ahead of ADP in this draft that I was talking about from earlier. I took a bunch of rookies in this thing obviously. Uh Rashad White it took him at 132 and as you alluded to, like everything is there. 98th percentile college target share, he's going to be 23 and a half. So was Najee best comparable David Johnson on player profiler. When I was watching the film, I have him as my RB3 uh and it reminded me of Le'Veon Bell, like the running style, upright, patient, incredible patience, 43 receptions, everything he did at the senior bowl, at the combine, he's passed in flying colors at every level. And the best part, my favorite part about Rashad White at the NFL combine, I, I asked a lot of players, this. I said, you know, who do you model your game after or who do you watch the most? And his response was Le'Veon Bell, prime Le'Veon Bell. And Arian Foster. And I was like, oh, baby. Mm. Because when I came away with Le'Veon Bell, and then this guy says Le'Veon Bell, and then the comps say David Johnson, which is the same archetype, the same comp tree. I was, I, I, I've just been giddy ever since mm-hmm. get, fi- finishing his his analysis. And uh, you hit the hill, you hit the nail right in the head. Rashad White, 132 in that, what is he, James Robinson, Alexander Madison range, Chris Carson. Like, give me mm. Rashad White, give me the opportunities. Yeah, it's like the compared to those guys that he's going around, White will have the standalone value, which those guys won't have. And then on top of that, like it's not like he doesn't have the upside. He'll if he if he ends up being the lead back in a week, he he has top ten potential every single week. Whereas with a Madison, like sure the upside's ridiculous, but any given week, Dalvin Cook is the guy. 
And I think that's one of the differences with Rashad White is there's the potential where not only does Rashad White have uh, like slate breaking upside in given weeks, depending on the depth chart, but that just in general, you don't draft a, an older running back on day two, not to use him as a rookie. He's going to get work. Now we're going to turn to some receiver metrics. There are going to be a lot of, a lot, I mean a lot, like a couple dozen new receiver metrics coming to player profiler soon, a mix of free metrics where you give us your email address. That's it. You just, just opt into a little marketing and then bam, here's some metrics that on other sites are paywalled oftentimes over a hundred dollars per year just to view them. You'll be able to see those, or you can do, what is it? 45 bucks data analysis if you wanted. And then you can actually see even more of these metrics and download them yourself. It's going to be amazing. We're, we're basically changing the landscape of how this type of stuff works. So before we dive into the wide receiver metrics, talk a little bit about uh, what it was like assembling and managing this game charting team and just give the, take like a minute and just give an overview of what game charting is and kind of what that team looks like. Because there might be some people out there listening and they're like, game charting. Like what are you just, you just watch games and take notes? Are you giving player grades? What, what does that mean for the people? So I could talk about this one for about an hour, hour and a half, but this is where <laughs> I got my start. Um, with the underworld a couple seasons ago was being a game charter. I was a formation charter my first season and basically being a charter and being a part of our team, which now has grown to almost a hundred people is <sighs> Sundays when the games end Thursdays, when the games end, whatever day it may be, the game ends an hour goes by. I send you a chart on this chart. You have a bevy of things, basically not basically literally every data point that's on player profiler is built based on these data points that you're collecting. You're collecting formation charting. So you're collecting where did these receivers line up at in the slot out wide? Who was the cornerback lined up against them? How much cushion did they give? Um, are they in eye? Are they in spread? Um, are they in shotgun? Is it a hurry up? Is it this? Is it that? Um, what's the separation at target? Things like that in the formations performance, you get a little bit further. You have the evaded tackles. You have the uh, yards after I, I could, I could go on for days with that. But that is the formations and their performances. This season, we created an all 22 team, which was built just for this project that we we're going to talk about today, which is the total routes wins, uh, route win rate, uh, separation, route separation, not just target separation. So we went through and we had a team chart every single route in the entire 2022, 2020, in the entire 2021 season, not just the targeted place. The guys who were, you know, either targeting Devonta Smith, were, were counting all of Greg Ward and Quez Watkins routes and how did they separate and, and uh, you know, did they win their route uh, per se? And so I think this, this project has been phenomenal uh, for anybody out there listening that, that thinks that watching film for two, three hours on Sunday afternoons, Sunday nights, and Monday mornings is something that they're interested in. Just email me Cody at road to Underworld. Uh, we're going to keep assembling this team. It's, it's grown to almost a hundred people. And again, we have the formations, the performance and all 22, and we just keep growing and growing this team. And that's how we can get the data points and the amazing analytical numbers for you, the people uh, to win your fantasy leagues is because of these grinders on the back end that you don't hear about. And like I said, this is where I got my start. That was three years ago. I was a formation charter. Now I'm kind of basically running the entire formation and, and performance in all 22 teams. Um, I, I, this is probably my favorite part about the whole uh, organization is just this crew of guys that grinds through the numbers week in and week out, watching the tape and writing the stuff down just so we can get the numbers to you, the people. So um, very excited about this project specifically. We've been talking about this one for two years and uh, Josh has been uh, warming these numbers up in the oven, uh, obviously, because he had to take everything that we collected, 
throw it in the code. Now we got the results for you, the people released on the website. I'm so excited to talk about this. Yeah. So while you were talking, I was quickly coding it up because I was like, how many? Turns out we're looking if someone's like, how many, how many routes were these guys charting? About 50,000, <laughs> which is just such a ridiculous number when you think about it. So about 50,000 rounds. It's not like you're watching one game of a player and going good or bad or, oh, let me watch this drive. Because you get a lot of the people where it's like the the YouTube, Twitter film grinders, and they're like, let me watch a couple highlights. Let me watch a couple lowlights, make my decision. This is over 50,000 routes. Just ridiculous. So one of the, one of the most basic ones is, uh, let's start off with wide receiver wins. So- how did you train the game charts? What what it, define a wide receiver win, and then we'll talk about some guys with total route wins and then win rates. So what what's a wide receiver win? What what do you need to see to say this receiver has won their route against whoever the cornerback is, whatever the the coverage is, man zone? What does that look like to you when you watch the film? Uh, this one's a tad tougher uh, to explain because a lot of it is just having to do with watching like I said, 50,000 routes. And when you see Keenan Allen run a route, and it's pretty obvious when he gets past the guy beats him and he's wide open, it, it, a lot of the route wins are, are, I would say 90% of them are straightforward. That's obvious. Like Tyreek Hill runs past a guy, arms up, runs down the sideline, all right, I'm open. But a lot of the ones maybe that you, you won't see offhand are the ones where, you know, it's a five-yard out, and all of a sudden there's like that quick yard and a half of separation that the receiver makes. And we train these guys to say, you know, they have to have at least like a yard, two yards of separation to quantify as a win, if, especially if they're not targeted. So if they're, if they're targeting Tyreek Hill, but on the other side, McCole Hardman is open, and, and the point at which we count this is at the ball release. So if the ball's released, bang, and it's going to Tyreek Hill. We know it's going to going to Tyreek Hill. We have to look at McCole Hardman and see where he is in his route. Is his route uh, expanded? Is he downfield? Has he broken off? Has he quit? If he's quit, it, that, that that goes into an entirely different range. But the win itself is one of the easier things to 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 calculate more so than like the separation, um, the rates against man, against zone. Zone is where it gets really difficult because you have these guys working in between the zones and things like that. But uh, a route win specifically, a lot of the times is pretty obvious. But uh, as you see here, Keenan Allen, like, it's no surprise who the number one guy is. I would say your guy, Keenan Allen, uh, from, the, from, the, from the Los Angeles Chargers. 270 route wins for Allen. He's number one. Stephon Diggs was number two at 267. Pittman coming in number three, 262. Jalen Waddle, number four, 257. Turns out the Chargers, they got some pretty good receivers. You can poop on the Mike Williams contract all you want. Mike Williams was a stud. He had the fifth most route wins, 246. Uh, yeah, this is, this is a great list. And I think what we'll do is we'll take a few minutes at the end of this episode and the chat can let us know if there's a certain player where they're like, hey, I'm curious about the guys win rate or route wins where we'll try and get you that info. I can code something up quickly for the people. So that's kind of a taste of like what the top would look like. It's pretty much all good receivers. I think the first not elite or potentially elite receiver that I see is, uh, would you say Marvin Jones with the 14th most route wins or Kirk with the 13th most Christian? I was going to say, I mean, well, you can't say Christian Kirk anymore because, you know, he got yeah. that uh, number one money, I guess. Yeah, I Stupid, you know, whatever. But, yeah, Christian Kirk right there next to Marvin Jones. So now they have two winners on the outside in Jacksonville. 
Uh, Jacoby Myers, though, comes in at six. He's not known to be that, that number one alpha, but if you listen to Road to Underworld, you know why. Matt loves Jacoby Myers. Now you can see he's number six overall in route wins uh, just ahead of Justin Jefferson. So that's one that kind of caught my eye. Um, another one, like you said, Marvin Jones. I didn't expect that because he kind of comes off as a bigger clasher, but he does have that full four speed. Um, Renfro, that's an expected one. We saw the phenomenal routes he's ran over there. But again, a lot of this is just the ex- expected guys. Robbie Anderson on the fly routes. Cooper Cup, phenomenal route runner. A lot of these things are pretty obvious. Darnell Mooney's a great one to see in the top 11 right there. De- Deontay Johnson. I yeah, was Deontay's surprised to number see, nine. Because I, I see was surprised to see know. Marquise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, they did say that. I was surprised to see Marquise uh, ahead of him, though. Uh, I did not mm-hmm. think he was going to be number eight on this list. I think that could be, you know, obviously I didn't chart all of these routes, but I think that can be a lot thankful mm-hmm. to a lot of the, the deep routes, obviously, from uh, Deontay, uh, from Marquise Johnson. or Jesus. From Marquise Brown, sorry. We're, we're putting receivers together. We got Deontay Brown and Marquise Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> they'll be on the they'll be on the Pittsburgh Ravens this next season. Get ready for it? The, the Baltimore Steelers, Lamar so, Roethlisberger. Yeah. So so that that was fun. You'll be able to see those metrics on Player Profiler. But as you know, if you're a loyal listener to anything we do, sure, counting stats are cool. But the rate stats, assuming the sample size is big enough, that's the most important. So what I did is I set the threshold to only look at receivers with 250 or more routes run in 2021. That is the threshold. 96 receivers. So about a, it's about a top 100. We have 96 receivers that ran 250 or more routes. And then from here, we looked at the actual win rates. So the, the number one was pretty surprising to me, but I think it starts to make sense. So at number one, uh, Jamison Crowder was actually winning the highest percent of his routes all year, 54% win rate. And it kind of brought up an interesting uh, question where it's like, do you want Jamison Crowder at the top of a, a metric? And I think in this case, it's like, you know what? This means Jamison Crowder is an absolutely elite slot receiver, which we kind of knew. Some of the other guys really high up is like Jalen Waddles, number four. We've got Elijah Moore, number six. Cole Beasley's in the top 10. It's, there's a there's several slot monsters in here. And one project that we're going to be working on the next couple months is we'll give you the win rate. We're also going to work on cornerback adjusting the win rates. That way, let's say that Jamison Crowder is facing cornerbacks that allow an average win rate of 50. And he has an average win rate of 54. That he has that four percentage point increase. Maybe uh, if we go down the list, Justin Jefferson had a a 47% win rate. That was number seven. Maybe Justin Jefferson, the cornerbacks, were only allowing a 35% win rate. So the 47 is 12 percentage points above what was expected. And we can do a lot of really cool stuff there where it's like, hey, a team, someone should sign Jameson Crowder. Sure, his health isn't very good year to year, but when he's on the field, very few guys can win in the slot like a Crowder. So I think that'll be a very interesting project down the line. I thought a really interesting one for me was Michael Pittman came in number two behind Crowder. Michael Pittman, we'll talk about him more throughout this episode, but the the guy was a monster. Michael Pittman, the second highest route win rate in the entire NFL last year. That was very cool to see. I mean, he had the, he had the, the massive breakout. I didn't love him as a prospect coming out. He just looked like the classic guy where it's like, oh, of course he dominates as a senior in college. He's 6'4", 220. He's 21 years old going up against these 19-year-old cornerbacks that have uh, where they give up four to six inches in height to him. Sure, he's he's winning there. I don't care. Oh, he tested well. It's okay. Eh, eh, eh. You can make a lot of excuses. Good, not great rookie year. But then, no, no, no. Breaks out in a huge way year two, and it looks real when you see that win rate. 
So when you were looking through this list, were there were there any surprises? I think the the saddest one for me is, I mean, the Brian Edwards fan club. I think it has to officially end after this episode. Out of 96 qualified receivers to run 250 or more routes this past season, Brian Edwards came in at 96. That is actually dead last. He had a he had a 25 and a half percent win rate. So one in four Brian Edwards routes, the guy is getting open and it's tough. You, you see, you see that he's running the routes. You see his like 10% target share and it kind of makes sense. Like Terrace Marshall, so far down the list, Jalen Rager, so far down the list. And you see these guys, Donovan Peoples-Jones is 95th. Some of these guys where we might like the athleticism or they flashed before, but you wonder why is the target share at 10%? This guy looks good. Generally, it's because the guy's not getting open. So who are some guys here that you want to highlight from this list of overall route win rate? This is routes versus man versus zone, everything. We're just looking at every single route right now. First up, I want to start with Allen Robinson because we talked about the Rams before with uh, with Bobby Trees. And now you see Allen Robinson coming in number 14 overall with a 44% win rate. Uh, fantastic spot right next to Keenan Allen, who we talked about before with the total routes. Obviously, we know Allen Robinson did not play in as many games or run near as many routes as Keenan Allen. And that is why, like you've alluded to, this is why a route win rate is going to be more discussed than overall route wins because of things like this, because of things like Allen Robinson being hurt, Calvin Ridley missing games, Juju Smith-Schuster missing games. And the win rate means a lot more because the total route wins basically just means you were healthy the whole season and you ran the full route share, which don't get me wrong, is great. Like the top end up there is awesome to see Keenan Allen, stuff like that. But what I like to look for is these guys with the lower numbers, maybe like an Allen Robinson. Taji Sharp is also a confusing one that's on here for me. Um, what else do we have here? Russell Gage is on this list. Elijah Moore. One thing I did find is that if you look at the first and second receivers taken in the second round, the second round of the NFL draft. So 2021, we saw Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore comes onto this list at number six overall. Then you go back to 2020, you see Michael Pittman was the second receiver taken in the second round of the 2020 draft. He comes in at number two. 2019, it was Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown comes on this list at number 12. So just because you weren't drafted in round one does not mean all that bad. So um, it's just kind of one of those things that I, I, I can't really wrap my hand around or wrap my head around it, but it's it's an exciting thing for these receivers. Olamide Zacchaeus is down here at number 30, 41%. This is just, I, I'm looking for these guys that haven't run near as many routes as some of these top-end guys. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, 40%. He's a top-40 guy. That was a surprising one. Uh, what else do we have here? McCole Hardman, Traquan Smith, Laquan Treadwell. Just a lot of guys that we talked about many times before on Roto Underworld that are coming in here in that 40% range, which sounds bad. It sounds like, oh, you only won on 40%. But when you look at the top of this list and it's 54%, you got to take into account how many routes these guys are running and it's the NFL. So uh, I, I love this list. It's just a very interesting one to, to dissect from top to bottom. Do you have any that you are you know favorite to? Obviously Keenan Allen, but. Mm -hmm. So I think one thing to note is we're about to break it down by man versus zone. And I think that's where you'll see Chenault, the win rate heavily skewed because the guy feasts against zone and that he's kind of a one-dimensional guy. He just cannot win against man. So I think that's kind of interesting. You'll see that too. We'll talk about Mikkel Hardman again. He shows up towards the top of another list later on where there, there's guys where it's pretty clear that their route tree is pretty constricted. And I think, so talking about things we can do further. So we're going to have to cornerback adjust later on. This is just, uh, it's so exciting. When you look at this thing about cornerback adjusting, another one that we talked a little bit about pre-show was 
potentially having the game charters flag when the double team happens on a route because Devontae Adams, he still had the 11th highest win rate in the NFL last year. But we also know that Devontae Adams is going to face more double teams than any other receiver in the NFL. And that, yes, when you cornerback adjust, Devontae Adams is going to look amazing. He's facing every team's best cornerback. But on top of that, he's getting double teamed as well. So it's really cool to look at these metrics, learn uh, what we can take away from them, and then immediately turn to, okay, this is amazing. Let's just, what are we going to do for next year to make it even better? And that this is year one of a new trend where we're going to have these these advanced metrics on the site where it's not just like a, oh, a separation at target, but it's actually like, here's exactly what they're doing on each route. So I, I think a, a guy that was kind of interesting to me that was pretty far down the list was Mike Evans. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mike Evans out of 96 players, the 82nd in separation. So 82 out of 96. Another interesting one was Jamar Chase, 62 out of 96. And I think with Jamar Chase, especially this guy has the most ridiculous upside, maybe among any player across positions in fantasy football. I think you could argue it's like him or Pitts in some ways, because with Jamar Chase, we saw him be a wide receiver one per game as a rookie. We saw the explosive plays. We even saw some costly drops where he's running a fly route and he has the end zone wide open and he drops it. 62 of 96 qualified receivers for win rate. Jamar Chase was not even winning as many routes as I think we could see him winning in the future. The guy is ridiculous upside. If he's a wide receiver one and he's not even winning a lot of his routes and it's just that once you get the ball in his hands, he's so damn dangerous. Just imagine what happens in year two when he's a little more comfortable in the NFL. He and Burrow strengthen that connection year after year. Jamar Chase can legitimately break fantasy and he could be like the like the Jerry Rice where uh, I wasn't playing fantasy when Jerry Rice was around, but if you just look at Jerry Rice's receiver stats compared to the other guys that would be on a top five receiving yards list or fantasy points list from those years, it's like Jerry Rice and then everyone else is just, it's like him, tear break, and then everyone else. It's kind of like what Cooper Cup had this past year where it's Cooper Cup and then everyone else. And I think Jamar Chase legitimately can be that guy for the next four, five, six years where you look in pretty much every season, it's like Jamar Chase is number one or two in fantasy points per game. And some years when he's number one, no one's even close. So I thought that was just a fun name where it's like, oh, he wasn't even doing all he could. And he still absolutely smashed as a rookie. That's that's the one Jamar Chase that we talked about is even if you look at his target separation on player profiler, it's 77th with 1.54 target separation. And win rate, also someone you have to take it into account, is that win rate, uh, winning a route is defined as you caught the ball. That's an automatic win, no matter the separation at all. And then uh, outside of that, it's the routes or the routes that you ran. A win can be quantified if it looks like you would have caught the ball. So a tough way to really dissect this is the Jamar Chase, the Mike Evans, mm-hmm. uh, guys like that, like even a Gallup sometimes, a Sutton. There's guys that are down this list that are harder to dissect because they thrive in that situation where, you know, I don't have a lot of separation, but I'm just a baller. I'm just like a Des Bryant. Remember Des Bryant? It seemed like every ball that went to Des Bryant was always contested. And a guy like Jamar Chase and a guy like Mike Evans that are just complete alphas, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they thrive in those situations. And so it's it's harder to quantify those than it is for guys that's like, you know, Brian Edwards, unfortunately, or Terrace Marshall, guys that are bottom eight, bottom 10 on this list in win rates because they don't thrive in those situations. And so th- that just makes things you have to look at a little bit more tougher uh, in, in the win rates and, and the separations and things like that. Mm-hmm. 
So then what we did is so that was 250 more routes. Also, I answer something from the chat before we keep going. Did you guys capture routes run by running backs? We we know when running backs were running routes. So on player profiler, the routes run. That's going to be when the running back runs a route, we capture it. Unless the running back was out wide, pre-snap, lined up with a cornerback, we were not capturing them for this exercise. Maybe that can happen next year, but that's going to be a lot tougher. Sometimes these guys aren't even covered when they come out of the backfield. So that's just a different animal that we'll have to kind of attack and see what we can do for next season. But for this year, no, if the running back was just uh, the guy runs a wheel route out of the backfield. Sorry. We know he ran a route. We know if he's getting targeted. No, we do not know who specifically, which linebacker or something ended up yeah. picking up that guy. So that stuff that could be in V2 or V3. So right now we're, we're primarily looking at receivers. Now, if we, if we drop the threshold from 250 and we're like, hey, I want to see guys with some sample size, but not a lot, guys with 100 to 250 routes run, win rates. Juju Smith-Schuster comes in at number one. Very excited to see him in Kansas City because he's probably going to be in that slot role. That's really where he thrives. We, we know that Patrick Mahomes guy is not half bad. Defenses are going to be keying in on Kelsey and Hill. Juju could have a very nice season for him. And then another guy that I liked was uh, another another Matt Kelly uh, favorite. Braxton Berrios was, came in at number three on this list of the medium sample size receivers. That was cool. Uh, Anthony Schwartz, out of the, the 54 guys that qualified here, Anthony Schwartz, he came in at number 10. Maybe there's hope for him this next year with Watson. It never really seemed like his issue was uh, necessarily being able to get open. It seemed like his issue was the guy was just making some boneheaded mistakes, which just you hate seeing the guy stopping his route mid route and then the ball gets intercepted. So we'll see if there's any hope for him. Was there anyone else on this list that that stood out to you where you're like, oh, this is this is interesting, or a guy where you're like, close the close the casket. This guy is not happening in fantasy. Cody, you're muted. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but everything like disconnected. You're good. Yeah, you froze for a second. You're back. So let me say up one more time. Right, everyone can we're, – we're back. Any players that you thought showed signs of life or anyone that you thought was dead? I mean, like I saw Deami Brown at the bottom of this list. Deami Brown might be dead. Sorry, yeah. Deami Brown. It's probably not going to happen for this guy. Was there anyone else where you're like, oh, that's kind of good? Or, oh, well, kiss that guy's career goodbye. <laughs> Deami Brown was the one that kind of popped off right away. Um, obviously, Greg Ward, seeing him all the way down there makes a lot of sense. Uh, to why he lost a job to Quez, but again, Quez was at the top, uh, at the bottom mm -hmm. of the last list we look at with qualified. Um, some more guys near the bottom down here don't really shock you. Uh, DJ Chark, I guess. Uh, Paris Campbell's another one, 33%, unfortunately. But then when you look up at the, at the higher end, like even Denzel Mims is a confusing one because he's right at that 40% threshold where if you would have put that in the other one, that puts him at number 40 right next to Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf. So he's winning at the same rate as a DK Metcalf, a Terry McLaurin, a LaVisca Chenault, um, by more than a T Higgins. Uh, we see that coming from um, guys like that. So it's a very interesting one. But again, Juju the top, Braxton Berrios. There's a reason that we like him at the underworld, playing that slot role. Consequently, the same role that Jameson Crowder's in. Uh, so hopefully we can see that expand again uh, in 2022. Nikhil Harry, I guess, is the biggest surprisor here for me, was Nikhil Harry coming in at a 45% route win rate, which would have placed him number 12 on the overall list next to A.J. Brown. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit beforehand. I think a couple of these guys, when we start to cornerback adjust, they're going to take a pretty hefty fall. I I think when Nikhil Harry was out on the field this year, he was the fifth option in the in the offense's game plan. If there's five skill players out on the field, Harry's probably number five whenever he's out there. So 
I think that's when the cornerback adjustment is really going to ding somebody like that. And it's like, Oh, sorry, sorry, Nikhil. Like, yeah, 45% was good, but we probably expected you to be in that range, if not higher based on who was actually covering you and what the, what the defense's attention was on. Like I'd much rather have Jacoby Myers who wins at a, a similar, if not higher rate and is actually getting oftentimes the team's best cornerback. So certain things there were, as we, we look at adjustments, I think it'll give even more clarity. Now, next, we can look at route win rate versus man. If we're like, hey, let's just separate. We only want to look at man coverage. Was there anyone here that uh, was really uh, surprising to you? I think for the most part, this kind of looks like one of the better lists when it's like who you think would be a good receiver. And that win rate versus man seems like a pretty good sign of if you, if you can't win against man coverage, there's, there's a pretty high chance you're not good at playing receiver. So I thought this was kind of a good litmus test where there weren't too many receivers towards the bottom of this list. And there weren't too many receivers towards the top where you're like, Hey, you're top 10 in this list that you're, you're probably a pretty good NFL receiver. Seeing LaVisca Chenault come in at 13 uh, with a 41% was one that I was very happy to see. Uh, but again, very shocked because of kind of what's transpired in Jacksonville. I think you can keep wagging the flag on him. Um, obviously, guys at the top, Jalen, Jalen Waddle, A.J. Brown, Michael Pittman, those are guys that we expected, Darnell Mooney, Keenan Allen. Uh, but as you scroll down a little bit further, you see Laquan Treadwell come in at 37%, number 25 overall against man, ahead of a Christian Kirk, an Amari Cooper, a Mike Williams. Uh, it gives you hope uh, for the Quan Treadwell. He just re-signed today um, with Jacksonville, so add yet another weapon to this Jacksonville offense, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that's like probably the most surprising guys for me. Kendrick Bourne's also on this list at thirty-seven uh, percent, and then obviously at the bottom here, thirty-one gives you Deontay Johnson. Yeah, so that's the top thirty-one that we were looking at. So Deontay still above average. This is at a ninety-six. I think uh, one that was cool was. I mean, Pittman is just, you keep hearing this name, Pittman, number five in win rate versus man coverage. You know he's going up against the team's alpha cornerback. So I think that's just very promising for his prospects. He now gets Matt Ryan. And then I think another one that's fun is seeing A.J. Brown come in at number two, win rate versus yeah. man. He's facing a team's best cornerback. My goodness, A.J. Brown is just such an absolute stud. It's really just going to be health with him every season and how much this team's passing, where you know that on a per-route basis, He's one of the best in the NFL at winning his route. And then when you think about what the guy can do after the catch, he, he is just a locked and loaded top five receiver in the NFL. I think for the pretty much the long-term future where per route, top five in the NFL, per route, probably top five in fantasy points. It's just, will he get that elite number of routes? And that if he's running 25 to 30 routes a game, he'll struggle to give you truly elite difference-making fantasy production when there's other guys that are going to run 35 to 40 routes a game instead of 25 to 30. And then if we, we move down, we can look at win rate versus zone. We have Jacoby Myers, number one here. Win rate versus zone, winning over 56% of his routes versus zone. And then I thought the, the, the coolest one, again, Michael Pittman, come on down. Michael Pittman, number three on this list. Turns out Pittman wins everywhere. And then uh, one more thing I'll highlight before passing it off. Debo came in at number two at 55%. We had Brandon Ayuk at number five, 53%. I remember there was a tweet from Nate and he, all he did was he just put up from player profile, a little screenshot and it was receiver yak per target. It was from Garoppolo's page. And mm -hmm. it was like four and a half yards after catch per target for the 49ers receivers. And his tweet was like, Trey Lance is sitting on a fucking gold mine because these San Francisco receivers are filthy after the catch. And it's like, you know what? Not only are they clearly the best after the catch, but you play zone coverage against them. Debo number two, 
route win rate, Ayuk number five route win rate, Trey Lance is going to have a hard time failing. I know right now there's rumors swirling of like, oh, what's going on? Is Garoppolo somehow going to be the quarterback there? And it's like, you know what? It's probably going to be Lance. They traded up to get him at number three. And this guy's going to have a hard time failing. That's why if you're looking at Lance and Fields, why you should take Lance ahead of Fields in fantasy football this year. Sure, Fields showed more as a rookie. But if you look at the situation for this next year, Trey Lance is... He's really going to have to try pretty hard not to succeed. We saw Garoppolo succeed and he didn't even have a good season. And he still looked great at times because when you're throwing to Debo and Ayuk that are some of the best real life receivers in the NFL, you have Kittle, maybe the best all around tight end in the NFL, just impossible to fail. Any other names that you want to highlight when looking at uh, zone win rates? No, that was it. And then you mentioned the two guys from San Francisco, obviously. And then you have Juwan Jennings, who doesn't even qualify, but he still was winning at 43% rate overall. So, I mean, these San Francisco guys just get it done. And the one thing about Juwan Jennings is he profiles like that Mike Evans situation where he's got to be a dog to win in those situations where everything's uh, close contact and you're high pointing the ball and stuff like that. And, and Juwan Jennings has that dog in him. So if that's the route that he carves out and he ends up being the, the number three guy in San Francisco, you got to be happy with that as well. But again, you got to go back to Michael Pittman, just page after page after page. It's Michael Pittman up here in the Debo territory, in the Jacoby Myers territory, the Keenan Allens, the AJ Browns. Michael Pittman continues to put himself in that situation. And how did we start this podcast other than start it talking about Matt Ryan, the quarterback for the newly Indianapolis Colts? And who's the receiver that he had for a decade? That's 6'3, 220 pounds. And now, from an athletic standpoint, they don't measure up together. But Julio Jones finished in the top 12 for fantasy year after year after year after year after year after year after year. Why can't Michael Pittman be that guy in 2022? Yeah, I think that it's hard not to take Michael Pittman. You see where he's going in, in redraft, best ball type leagues. You see what his dynasty value is. Uh, Michael Pittman is just a screaming buy. His price is going to go up a little bit because of Matt Ryan going there, but I don't think it's going to go up enough. He looks yeah. like a legitimate top 10 receiver across every single one of these metrics. And there, there, there wasn't much else there in Indianapolis. It's not like the the good cornerbacks were like, oh, we we want to make sure Zach Pascal or T.Y. Hilton isn't getting his. No, no, these were these were teams that were focused in the passing game. They knew Pittman was the alpha. Pittman had the breakout season. They just couldn't stop it. And now we see why. We see that this is a real legitimate breakout. It's not some weird one year thing where it's like, oh, Pittman, the good, not great prospect. No, no, no. Now we have new NFL data that shows he is. A, a locked and loaded elite wide receiver in the NFL. So right now on the ADPs on underdog, not the super flex, but reg- rather the regular, it's uh, mm-hmm. Michael Thomas, 55.5, Michael Pittman, 57.6, and Michael Mike Williams, 59.1. Michael, Michael, Mike, back-to-back-to-back to back to back in the underdog ranking or un- underdog ADP. And I think Pittman and Williams being back-to-back back is actually, it's actually a good spot, I think, for Pittman to be honest with you, because like Williams, obviously he has Keenan, he has Herbert, but Pittman being the alpha, I think that equates, uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that whole situation for ADP? It's Pittman, Williams, and then you follow down like Marquis Brown and, and Darnell Mooney. Do you like, do you like so Pittman this is, over Williams? This is like my, this is my favorite spot to draft because I just yeah. pound Pittman and Williams. I just alternate names that going well ahead of them that I'd rather have. is like Amon Ross, St. Brown, Devonta yeah. Smith. It's going to be, I, I think you have to pull a lot of strings to get Amon Ross St. Brown or Devonta Smith to have a better fantasy season next year than Pittman or Williams. When you just you look at the quarterback situation, you look at who they're playing with. Williams and Pittman, I mean, we just saw Mike Williams. He was, the, I think, the wide receiver 13 per game this past year. 
And it's like, what, what more do you want? That was his first year in a new role. Pittman, he had his breakout. And now we look at the advanced metrics and it's like, yeah, it looked pretty real to me. So that's actually my absolute favorite sweet spot for receiver. It's why I like getting some, some running backs, an elite tight end early if possible. It's because I know that round five, it's just Williams, Pittman, and Michael Thomas. There's just a lot of really, really strong options there where you could easily see the guy finishing as a wide receiver one. So I, I like that zone. Now, the, the last uh, kind of like a real advanced metric that we're going to discuss is separation. So we were looking at separation, game charters, separation on every single route where it's basically like when the, when the ball is released, here's their separation. Was there anyone that stood out to you? Because one thing that I noticed is that this wasn't quite as clean of a list and that a lot of the lower average separators were the better receivers and that potentially this has to do with some double teams. Maybe they're facing the stronger cornerbacks and that when we cornerback adjust, it'll get a little better. But I, I noticed some clear patterns. You noticed some clear ones. So at the top of the list, we have Demir Bird, Mikol Hardman, Marquise Brown, Khalif Raymond. These were guys that were, were getting the most separation per route. What, what what context do we need to add in there? And that will ultimately add with more stats later on where it would help the people understand how someone like this per route is going to have some good separation. These guys at the top end are going to make a lot of sense because you're going to have Demir Bird, Hollywood Brown, Christian Kirk, Devin DuVernay, KJ Osborne. These guys are known for what? Running in a straight line fast and being separators. They're just, they're fast, right? Um, this is one that I, I would expect Kelvin Austin, who have talked about this rookie class, expect Kelvin Austin next year to be at the top of this list because this is what he does mm-hmm. very well. And, and not only does he separate well downfield, but he separates well in the middle quadrants. And this is going to be something we're going to work on more in 2022 when we chart is getting the quadrants from the field or the type of routes, uh, you know, does this guy, you know, that'll help decipher these Demir Bird routes because a lot of what Demir Bird does is run straight down the field and kind of create uh, openings underneath for everybody else on the team. But like you talked about before was if you just scroll down a little bit and you look at the range of between two and two and a half or two and three yards of separation, that really makes a, a more of a clearer picture because the top end of this list can be skewed by guys that run the consistent nine routes and are, or are just not good and left alone, like a Khalif Raymond, where you see he gets one ball a game, but it's because they're not really afraid of him. Uh, or Freddie Swain, where they just look, kind of let him go. Those are the type of situations, Ray Ray McLeod, you know. Um, but if you scroll down a little bit and you see this range of guys creating over two and a half yards of separation, some guys, Laquan Treadwell, did not expect him to be in this. We talked about him before uh, on the win rate side being over two and a half. Um, Devontae Adams, obviously we know he's phenomenal at creating separation. That's a good marker because he's a guy that can create separation late in the route. And you look at him being at 2.6, Adam Thielen, 2.6. These are route running savants. Devonta Smith, another route running savant, 2.6. Keenan Allen, 2.6. That's a range that I like to target right there is at 2.6. And when I see guys around that range, like an Allen Robinson, 2.58, Cortland Sutton, 2.66, that gets me excited. And then you even see, you know, a lamb ahead of that, Robert Woods, Debo Samuel. Like, you expect Debo Samuel to be in that area. So um, this is one that you just really have to break down a little bit further. You have to kind of kind of quantify it between like target separation. So Demir Bird's target separation, which you can find already on player profilers, 2.23 in 2021 versus his average separation of 3.8. So it tells you kind of together how often he was targeted because when he was targeted, it was 2.23, but a lot of times he wasn't targeted because he's running straight down the field where somebody else is targeted and we're counting the separation when the other guys start. If that makes sense, right? That's kind of the, the idea behind this whole thing is basically you're finding out Demir Bird runs the nine routes a lot. He creates 3.8 average yards of separation per route. 
while they're throwing to, you know, Darna Mooney underneath. It's kind mm-hmm. of, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think a, a way you could think about it is say that you're a quarterback, you're listening to this at home. You have a receiver that's creating two yards of separation within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Yep. Beautiful. If you have a guy that has super early in their route, close to the line of scrimmage, and he can get six full feet of separation, that's all you need. I'd much rather have my receiver getting me two yards of separation, five yards down the field than 40 yards down the field. Much harder to convert the 40-yard pass. It has to be perfect. The defender could catch up at some point while the ball's in the air. There's just so many factors where, sure, it's the big play. A lot can happen, but it's it's basically guaranteed. If a receiver has six feet of separation and he's only a few yards away from you, quarterbacks are going to have a hard time not completing that pass pretty much every time. And it also oftentimes gives the receiver perfect room to run after the catch. So that that's really where I always think of that as like the, the Keenan Allen Jarvis Landry type metric where it's like every team needs guys like that. And that's one of the most valuable receiver skills. Devontae Adams does that all the time where critical third down and maybe he's even double teamed. The whole world knows it's going to Adams, but he's going to be able to get open and create, even if it's not the three, four yards of separation that a guy on a nine route can get, that that's good enough for that route. And that's where the win rate will come in as well in that. You want to use these metrics in tandem and we have a cornerback adjusted, but yeah, just to give people context, like you don't just want to take something and it's like, Oh, I saw this deep route guy show up highly. It's just like the the normal target separation at times where some yeah. guys that are just separating well at target, it's like Henry Ruggs type players where of course, if he's getting targeted, he's going to be open. He usually runs a nine route. When's he going to, when is Derek Carr going to, who's kind of conservative with the football going to throw it deep. It's when rugs is wide open. Of course, the separation's there. So things for you to keep in mind where sometimes you have to put your football guy hat on when you're diving into some of these new stats. So let's let's turn now just average separation versus man and average separation versus zone. We're looking at the leaders. Was there was there anyone here with average separation versus man at the top end or at the bottom end that was surprising you? I didn't see too many guys where I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. Although Terry McLaurin had the out of 96 qualified receivers with 250 or more routes, McLaurin was dead last in average separation versus man. I, I think that could potentially be a product of some double teams as well. Could also just be that uh, maybe he just didn't have as great of a season as some people wish that he had. He was pretty inconsistent for fantasy. His targets were inconsistent. His target share was not what I think many of us thought it would be based on who was on the depth chart. I mean, no Curtis Samuel. Very little Logan Thomas. So interesting. Terry McLaurin, yeah, not a great season. Once again, though, Jamar Chase way down there. So much potential considering what he did. Any other names that that stood out to you for separation versus man or for for average separation right below that for average separation versus zone? Yeah, I guess the biggest takeaway is if you look at the zone part, having Quez walk into the top 4.24 against zone, uh, skyrocketing above everybody else in every other metric uh, from a separation standpoint. But when you go back up to the win rates, the win rates is when you see Quez Watkins uh, down there at 94th out of 96 and 26% wins. So, and a, a lot of this conversation can be had with, they straight up just weren't targeting him much. And it's, it felt like they should have been targeting him more. And obviously those who know me know I've talked about Quez quite a bit, but it seemed like he was open more often than he was. But it turns out 25% of the time he wasn't open, but he did create some separation. It's just kind of an odd one to put together. Jamar Chase, obviously Terry McLaurin near the bottom down here. Uh, those sep- those 
kind of caught my eye. But again, we are talking about separation and creating 1.4, 1.8 yards of separation on any given route is still impressive in itself. Um, so th- that one's a tougher one. But again, when you look at the top of these lists and you see Hunter Renfro and you can connect Hunter Renfro uh, to his target separation of 2.14, and this kind of goes back to the overall separation that you were talking about a minute ago, but having Hunter Renfro in that range uh, where he has an average target distance of 6.6, his average separation is 3.1, that's all in those middle quadrants, the middle 10 yards, right? And then he's top five, top six in overall target separation. Those are the guys that, that's something that popped off to me uh, overall on this board. But I guess from the overall against man, uh, the biggest one for me was like Tim Patrick at the Josh Reynolds. I did not expect those guys to be near the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both had quietly good seasons. By some of these advanced metrics that was cool to see patrick and reynolds both getting uh extended by their teams reynolds still with the lions patrick still with the, the broncos thought those were kind of interesting as well and then with the the average separation by zone i thought it was uh kind of strange to see some of the guys that were that were towards the top and towards the bottom and i think that's one thing where what we can take for next year is that uh i, I know dario uh one of our analytics interns he brought up in a, a call this morning that potentially including and charting route depth upon uh, quarterback release. And that not just like if they're winning the route and what their separation at the time of release was, but how many yards down the field were they? Because sure, Quez Watkins, very good average separation versus zone, but potentially he's not even necessarily winning all of those routes because of how difficult it would be for Jalen Hurts to still make that throw. And that maybe where he's winning the routes are not as high of percentage of throws to make. And that exactly those route wins... It might just be like, you know what? Or like that that separation just isn't as valuable as if he was separating at a different quadrant of the field. So like when Cody's talking about how we, we're going to chart quadrants, these are all things where all these metrics make our understanding of the receiver position stronger. What we're going to do next year makes it even stronger. I, I just love the this chain reaction that, that's gotten started. So just props to, to Cody and all the game charters that watch those roughly 50,000 routes. Now, before we get out of here, just a couple interesting notes on fantasy points versus man per game, fantasy points versus zone. If we want to break this down into fantasy points, it's pretty much what you expect. There's no big surprises. And at the end of the day, I think this will end up being actually a fairly predictive metric where like, yes, it's a results metric of like how many fantasy points did they have? But ultimately we're in search of fantasy points. And I think that uh, these lists kind of show you uh, a lot of guys that you really want. And I thought one of the interesting ones was that DJ Moore was top 20 in fantasy points versus man per game. I I just love DJ Moore. He doesn't have the touchdowns because of quarterback play, but the guy is just so tantalizing when you look that when you look at what he can be, just got extended. Probably not the extension we wanted for fantasy, but it's nice that at least he's still getting you something versus man. And then I, I thought an interesting one for fantasy points versus zone is you probably have heard Cooper Cup, the, the living legend, by far the top of the list in fantasy points per game versus zone. So when you hear people talking about how Cooper Cup shred zone, there was that video that went viral where he's talking about uh, the the fire zone and what he was doing when he saw that, uh, what was it, the safety was blitzing or his or the guy covering him was blitzing. He's like, oh, we did this and that and this and that. And this is how I got open against this zone. Cooper Cup, sure enough, the absolute tactician, number one in the NFL by almost, uh, by about one and a half fantasy points for points per game versus zone. So that'll be another cool metric for everyone to look at. Was there anyone else that, that really stood out to you here? I just thought the the Cooper Cup one, I was like, yes, 
I would have been surprised if he wasn't number one. And then Devontae Adams was number one for fantasy points per game versus man. That one makes sense as well. Even more impressive when you think about how many of those routes were double teams. Was there anyone else here where you were like, oh, that was kind of interesting or yeah, expected that guy up there. Renfro coming in uh, at 21 against man, 7.0 points per game. And then again, zone, he comes in at number nine, 7.7 points per game. Um, seeing that consistency there from Hunter Renfro, I mean, he's going to be a bona fide value in a lot of leagues because of everyone's going to be going after Adams and Waller, I think. And you're going to be able to come back and get that wall or that Renfro action. And he's just going to dominate the slot. Like we've talked about with the separation and with everything in the wins, uh, Michael Pittman, who we've talked about numerous times tonight, he comes in number 30, uh, with 5.7 points per game points per game versus man, 35th, sorry, he comes in 35th, 5.7 points per game against man, and then he comes all the way up to number 8 against zone, 7.7. So he gained two full points per game on average, and he jumps all the way up to top 10 against zone. So he's much better against the zone than he is against the man. And then seeing uh, McLaurin uh, still finish up there at number 10 overall against the zone was a very interesting one, given what we saw before about some of the data points about him not being the best. But with that being said, he's not in the top 35 against man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be a lot to break down, a lot to uh, digest for all of us, for Cody, for Dario and Ahan, our two analytics interns. It's going to be a fun offseason in that regard to just continue iterating on this and processing just this new mountain of data that we have because there's only a couple companies out there that are even watching every single route for every game for every receiver to begin with. And most of them, uh, they go, you know what? This data is so valuable. You can't see it unless uh, you pay us hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So what we're doing is it's kind of different. I think it's pretty cool. I always like giving the power to the people, getting the metrics in their hands. So these will be up in due time on the site. Now, before we get out of here, I want some rapid fire. It's early in the off season. Right now we are, we're still in March, but right now just looking at uh, the landscape of quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, rapid fire, one dark horse at each position where you think they have a better than expected chance to finish top 12 at their position for 2022. Give me quarterback. Give me Zach Wilson. The offense is, offensive line is coming around. They got Michael Carter. They're probably going to add another guy, maybe a maybe a uh, Damian Pierce type of guy, a uh, brute to come in and be that number two behind him. And then, of course, the receiving level, they have Braxton Berrios. They went out, got Tyler Conklin, uh, CJ Uzama. Uh, Corey Davis did well in some of these matches we talked about today. And then if they go out and get a receiver, like it's rumored to be a Drake London type, um, I mean, it could potentially see wheels up for Zach Wilson, who does have some rushing upside, not a ton, but he does have some. And just feeding him weapons and weapons and weapons is only going to help him grow at the quarterback position. Yeah, I like that one. Also, Elijah Moore is on that team. Elijah Moore is going to kill it. Yeah, I just want to say, because I've, I've seen people that are like, oh, like they're going to reduce Elijah Moore's role because uh, they might sign a receiver and stuff. I'm like, okay, okay. Would you agree Elijah Moore is one of the three best players on that team last year? And they're like, yes. So you're trying to tell me that one yeah. of the three best players on their team is going to get a, ro- a massive role reduction? Get out of here with that. No. So I like Zach Wilson. Running back, who you got? Kenneth Walker. Uh, you go to player profile right now, best comparable to LaDainian Tomlinson, hardest runner, peer runner in this draft class. Kind of reminds me of like a Nick Chubb from an aggression standpoint. Uh, I like him. 
Uh, we can skip right to the receiver because we've talked about him a million times tonight. Michael Pittman finished wide receiver 17 last year. Gets that Matt Ryan little spike. I think that's only going to help him improve, uh, get him some zone opportunities. Maybe they bring in Julio, gives him some more you know one-on-ones with uh, lesser talented cornerbacks. Like Michael Pittman can finish in that top 12. And then tight end, Adam Troutman. I'm going to double back. We talked about him a bunch last year. Nothing has really changed in this offense. Kamara looks like he's kind of passed by his legal issues. Jameis Winston comes back. This offensive line is back. The defense is still good. Michael Thomas is still there. Adam Troutman still getting opportunities in this offense. I think Adam Troutman at 231 on underdog right now. Tight end 30 uh, is a great dart I'd like to throw in underdog to finish in the top 12. That's the show. Thanks everyone for listening. We went a little longer than I thought we would, but I feel like that kind of happens when you're on a roll. I've, I've got a few minutes before I've got to move on. I don't know if you have a few minutes. We can answer if the chat has anyone where they're like, oh, this is this is a guy I'm curious about or break this guy down more. Chat, do you have anything for us? Any pet peeve players? I saw a lot of uh, Brian Edwards talk in here. It's, it's sad. The, I think the dream is dead. Maybe Devontae Adams will teach him how to go from one of the worst separators in the NFL to one of the best. So uh, maybe that is that is what I'll now cling to. But the, the 2021 metrics were pretty damning. There's Do no other major outliers between target separation and route separation you would like to share. I kind of I kind of touched on that with Hunter Renfro a little bit. Um, being how he's good at both. And that's something you have to look at. Whereas like I saw Demir bird at the top of target separation and like the numbers are just going to vary a little bit. And that's something you just have to break down. I have not jumped into that because like I said, we got this data done shortly, shortly ago where, where, where Josh pushed it through the code. And so I'm just starting to dig into it and we haven't even released it on the site. So there's going to be many, many more conversations about uh, target separation, route separation, where out wins, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing that was interesting is if you're looking at the current target separation leaders on Player Profiler using our data analysis tool, a lot of the names on the top of this list aren't super good. And that it's a lot of players where it's like, yeah, they're kind of running the nine route. And we talked about it a little bit where we were like, you know what? Average separation probably isn't the best new metric just for looking at pure wide receiver talent in a vacuum. That's going to be more of the win rate. And I think what's super cool is when we look and when all you data analysis subscribers are going to be able to see who's at the top in win rates, that is a much better looking list and probably going to be a more predictive list year over year in terms of who's delivering fantasy points, who's commanding routes and targets than just purely target separation. So I'm very excited about that because when you look at some of these big separators, it's like DeAndre Carter was high up on this list, even though, I mean, this is a guy that's running a lot of fly routes and he's not very good, kind of a journeyman. But then when you look at some of the the win rate stuff, it's like, oh, DeAndre Carter not looking so great. And that you can start to X out some of these guys. So I think that's one of the coolest parts is that uh, if you just look at any site and how they're measuring target separation at target, the list doesn't necessarily look like the best list of receivers. Whereas win rate, I'm much more confident in those guys for next year and the year after and the year after. So there's a question from Bruce. We'll answer this one quick. Will Alan Lazard be able to get open for Rodgers? 
And I'll let you think about that one for a second. I will answer it by saying, if you look on player profile, his target separation is 1.66, which is tied with Tyler Lockett, uh, Cooper Cup, Elijah Moore area. But when you look at the average separation versus zone, Alan Lazard comes in 96th out of 96 at 2.4. When you look at average separation versus man, Alan Lazard comes in at number, uh, where'd it go? I believe it was 60. Yeah, so overall... If you combine man and zone, he's 75th out of 96. That's, that kind of tells the story. Lazard, not not the best route winner. Uh, he's probably, if he ends up being Rodgers number one, based on them just not having anyone else, Rodgers could be in for a kind of a letdown season. You can only do so much if your receivers, at the end of the day, just cannot get open. At least Lazard has size, but yeah, it's, it's worrisome. So... What else we have? I think that's it so far. I just referred. Oh, one other one person. that I wanted to mention. I forgot to mention this earlier. Amon Ross St. Brown scored very well in uh, his ability to win routes, which I think is very good for him. I've been kind of down on Amon Ra. I still think, at least for 2022 redraft, fifth round is very rich right now. But I think he's starting to get. He's pretty interesting in Dynasty, where I think it's it's probably hard to fake what he was doing in year one and that. I still just don't love this offense right now, but I do like buying into the players that can get open and command targets. And uh, with all these metrics, Amon Ross scored very well. He looks like the kind of guy that's going to win his routes. So he's someone that I'm starting to become interested in again for Dynasty, even if I'm still out on the round five redraft price tag. He could very well be a round five redraft pick for next year. And then I'd be like, okay, the offense is getting better. He's in year three. Now I'm ready to buy in with this offense. So I think it's a little early for redraft, but dynasty, I'm definitely, I'm warming up to him. I like it. I like it. All right. That's I think all that, I got. That does it. Yeah. Everyone enjoy the rest of your, your Monday night. Cody, do you have anything else going on uh, the rest of this week to let the people know about? Um, I will be doing, I did a draft talk show this morning. I'll be doing one each morning this week. Uh, tomorrow I'll be boots on the ground at Liberty pro day, uh, checking out, uh, Malik Willis, see if he's actually nice. going to be the QB one, see if we get a little 40 yard dash action out of him. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for this week. Um, Josh, you'll be showing on the mind of mansion this week. Yeah, I'll be on Mina Mansion Wednesday. You can actually catch me tonight. I'll be on a friend of the show, Billy Muzio, doing a live best ball stream starting at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. So if you want to catch that, some best ball action. And then, yeah, I'll be on Mina Mansion Wednesday. We also have, uh, wow, we've got a nice webcam in the chat. Some webcam model has hacked the chat. We're getting we're getting quite a bit of interesting stuff. So if you're on StreamYard, look away. <laughs> We got to get out of here. We got to get away from these people. I think that's our, that's our signal. Thanks everyone. Have a good night.